minutes tonight before we conclude. Turn to an unusual Mother's Passage, Day Passage, Judges chapter 4 and 5. I'd like to talk to you about three, and I would call them military moms. Moms on the front line. I'm not going to take the time, obviously, tonight to read both chapters, but I will survey them a little bit for you. The three moms, if you're not familiar with them, they're not exactly household names in most of our minds. But perhaps you know Deborah. She stands out probably the most commonly known. She was the only female judge. The second one in King James or in English sometimes is Jael, but there's no J in Hebrew. So it's Yael, and her name means God's strength. And then the third mother in our text is not a believing mother at all, and it's the enemies of God, Sisera, and it's his mother. And, and, I, and I think that in these two chapters, with bigger pictures of the redemption story, of course, and I'm going to actually say a little bit about that, but they do picture for us three mothers. And I believe if you look at it and read it like I have this last week, you'll find that these are meant to be contrasted. They are mothers in comparison. Deborah and Yael go together as believing mothers. And I'm going to show you what traits set them apart. And then in contrast, a mother with no faith. And that's what you want not to be like. Um, and that's the comparison there. There In the text, if you read it for yourself tonight, in chapter 4 of the book of Judges, you'll know that when Deborah became a judge, that it says in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 5, and let me just say, because I don't have time to develop much of this at all, but chapter 5 is the victory song. Chapter 4 is the historical events that took place when Deborah helped Barak to beat Sisera. And then the victory song, and by the way, awesome motif to study in Scripture are victory songs. They are from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, including Revelation, when the last victory song will be sung by Jesus and all who accompany him. But they happen all throughout the Psalms. And uh, they're great studies of how God creates or does victory in our lives. But nevertheless, in her day, when she brought victory, it didn't start out that way. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, it says, When she came to be a judge, highways were abandoned, and no one left their village. In other words, you didn't go very far, you didn't go hardly anywhere, and if you did, you took the back roads and the alleys because to go on the main roads was dangerous because Sisera and the armies were patrolling and being around, and so it was dangerous, and it was a very, very difficult time, a scary time to be around. Um, also, it didn't help, and it goes on to say in chapter 5 during the song, it says that there weren't any weapons. They didn't have swords and shields. Not only were they outnumbered and the army was greater and stronger than them, but they didn't have really much at all to fight back. And so because of their sinfulness, God was uh, disciplining them and showing them just how weak and frail they are without him. Above all of that, it says in chapter 5 and verse 8, that it was a time for choosing new gods. And so what you know, the book of Judges, it was a recycling of Israel coming back to God and then choosing foreign gods and idolatry. So when 
She came to be, and you'll see it in the text, a mother in Israel. That's what she called herself in chapter 5. She became a mother in Israel, verses 7 and 8. And of, of course, not a mother in the sense that we're talking about today, but the symbology is that she became a mother to Israel who needed protection, who needed guarding, who needed to be taught to come back to God because Everything in her culture was going wrong. Now, I find that to be an encouragement as I look at motherhood today. Listen, ladies, I would tell you this. If you're a mother, it is a battle. You are on the front lines. It is a fight. It is a struggle, perhaps more than in any years recently, that seemingly the weapons to convite, that, that fight against social media and you know, cell phones and all the things in the schools today and everything around, it's, it's a fight and a battle for a mother to raise children, protect her children, guard her children to grow up and love the Lord. But here's what Deborah was. She was a wise mother. That's what judges do. She sat under a tree, if you read chapter 4, and people from the communities around came to her and she would help them to make the right decisions, just decisions, kind and merciful decisions. See, that's the kind of mother she was and that's what Israel needed. They needed the wisdom to be able to go through a wartime situation. How do you live on the front lines in a culture where everything's chaos? You need God's wisdom. And I'm always thankful for mothers who demonstrate that and exhibit that in a day in which false and pseudo-wisdom and actually foolishness and folly reign in, in, in what is going on in a lot of places and in homes in particular. Here was a woman who was different. And, and she judged people and she helped them to make the right choices. And, and let me tell you one other thing, and I'm not trying to go after anyone tonight in particular, but what these women in this text, verses, chapters 4 and 5, also bring out as a very stark contrast is that these women who follow God have to be strong because in their culture, in their time, men were weak. Men were weak. There's no two ways about it. Barak is told by God, I'm going to give you deliverance. And see, she tells him, and she comes to him, and she says two questions to him. In verse 6, in chapter 4, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? In other words, hasn't God told you to go, and I'm going to give you the, the victory? But he says, to her, his response is, I'm not going to go up unless you go up with me. And she prophesies, she goes, I'll go up with you, but you'll not have any glory because God's going to deliver a Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now you have to understand, in that culture, that was in dishonor. For a woman to win a battle, a woman to be able to do what a man's supposed to do, a woman who protects and guards the nation was supposed to be the job of godly men. And in her day, she fought against that. And that's not the only comparison. It's not just her and Barak, and she's stronger than him. It's also Yael and Sisera, where when he comes from fleeing the battle as the enemy of God, she hides and protects him. And he says, listen, if anybody comes by, you hide me and don't tell anybody. Those are all meant to be in our text of a shame and honor culture. They were supposed to say, see, that's women who are being strong. And you know what? In a day in which we live, unfortunately, that is more true than perhaps than I've, since I've been a pastor. I have talked to people um, many, many times who in their marriages have difficulties and problems. And I would tell you this, that I would say vast majority of them would be solved if the man was the spiritual leader in his home that he ought to be. 
Not because women and wives don't make mistakes, but I can tell you this, that most of those women would be different and would turn around and would follow the Lord if their husbands would lead the way. And she was living in a culture where she had to be strong because men were weak. How did she do it? Because when she talks to Barak, she says, not only has the Lord commanded you, go do it. She says, does not the Lord go out before you? She was able to have the ability and the wisdom to look around at her culture, to look around at the battles, to look at how she was outnumbered and outgunned, but she was able to see all of that and still see God, still see God's presence, to still see how powerful he was, and he could, she encouraged him to fight the battle and do the part that he was made to play in that story Interestingly, when the battle's over, here's what it says. And I think it's a little ironic. In chapter 4 and verse 16, when the battle was over, it says, not a man was left. (laughs) And I don't think that was just the enemies. I think it was more than that. I think the, the story is telling you how women who have weak men they have to cover for are strong and God blesses them. After chapter 4 and the victory that is won... She writes a best-selling victory song in Judges 5. And in that song, she tells the story in detail of the second mother in our text. See, Deborah, if she was a wise mother, then Yael is a warrior mother. Um, A metaphorical military mom. And by that, I mean this. When you read the commentaries on these two chapters, you'll find that Sisera was fighting the battle. They had 900 chariots of iron. Now, you have to realize, back then, that was like a a power um, move. You know, they they had all the technology, you would say. They would have the stealth bombs. They had the tanks. They had the ability. They had the bombs. We would say that they were the high-tech. They were the world power at the time. And Israel, they don't have even shields and swords or anything. So this this is way out of line. I mean, as far as there's no way Israel should be able to compete in this battle. They should have been completely wiped out. But what they do is they go to fight, and they fight in the valley uh, in the shadow of a mountain. It's a river basin. And the river nearby, God floods it. And so when they come to pursue Israel, who has a far inferior battle strategy and plans and weapons and mounts of soldiers, the whole area floods, and all of their 900 chariots bog down in the mud, and they can't go anywhere. They are sitting ducks. And so Israel comes in and completely wipes them out. God does that. Sisera, who's the general, gets off his chariot and seemingly doesn't even take his horse, or he didn't ride it very far, and he runs. He runs to a family's tent in a little community not too far from the battle scene, if you look on the geography in the map. He gets there because these people are neutral, so to speak. They've been with Heber the Kenite. The Kenites were those who came and were the the, the, uh, father-in-law of Moses and his family and that line. They had always been with Israel, but at times, even in this time, they weren't always a sure ally. So he goes there, and he hides out, and Yael comes out, and she sees him coming. She knows about the battle. Everybody knew about the battle. And he comes in, and here's what she does. He says he's exhausted, and he wants a place to sleep and to hide. And so she gives him, and here's the description the commentators say. She invites him into her tent, which would have been 
a, a social taboo because that didn't look good. But he, she invites him into her tent, and here's, she starts taking care of him like a mother. And all the clues are there. He asks for water. She goes and gets him a pail of milk. And he start, he's sleepy. She feeds him milk. Then it says she covers him up basically with a blanket. She tells him to go to sleep and get some rest, just like she was taking care of a little boy that would be her little child. And the Bible uses that metaphor because here's what the Bible wants us to say. That these are mothers. She is a mother, but she's a military mother. She is a warrior mom. She has, I'm going to be facetious here, she has special forces training. And her weapons training specialty is tent pegs right, and hammers. Basically, there are no weapons. It wasn't like she was going to go to her husband's tent and pull out a sword and then take him down, you know. It isn't that. She had to use what she could find, and that was a tent peg, and that's an industrious mother, no? But here's what she does. She's not afraid to fight the enemy. She's not afraid to fight the enemy, listen, when men aren't there. She's not afraid to fight the enemy, even though that he would be stronger and a better warrior than she is. She doesn't look at the circumstances and situations. She sees it completely different. And we're not even told the reasons altogether. But here's a warrior mom who does hand-to-hand combat with a seasoned veteran general from the opposing army. And when he's asleep, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head all the way to the ground. That's pretty graphic. That's not a Mother's Day story that you probably would tell your children, at least when they're young. But why does the Bible tell you that? Can I tell you? I'm going to really briefly say it. Because she is a head crusher. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium says this. Here's the promise when Adam and Eve sinned. That eventually the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed, which is the Messiah. But the Messiah will crush his head. And all throughout, from Genesis 3.15, all throughout the Bible, even into the New Testament, it's the woman who brings the son and the child into the deliverer into the world. And it keeps happening over and over again. And in those stories, the seed of the woman, the man, oftentimes, or the woman herself, crushes the head of the enemy. You know the story, and you've heard it a million times, but you may have not heard it in the light of redemption And that is David fights Goliath. Goliath's armor is completely a coat of mail. And all on it, and what that means is that it had snake-like emblems all over his army. He is, Goliath is the seed of the serpent. David is the seed of the woman. He is in the line of the Messiah. And when he beats David, I mean Goliath, and kills him, he does not fight him in an unusual battle because he had, again, like in this case, no swords, no shields, none of those weapons. Everyone was afraid of him, but he has a sling. Why? Because the sling and the rock hits him and crushes his skull and his head, and afterward David takes his sword and cuts off his head. Why? Because David is a skull crusher. He's of the seed of the woman Crazy stories in the Bible, but they have purposes. 2 Samuel chapter 20 tells a story of a guy named Sheba who gave David all kinds of conflict. He was constantly hassling uh, God's anointed, the picture of the Messiah. So one time, Joab and his army track him down, and they get him inside the city. And they're attacking the city, and they're destroying the city. 
And a woman who has no name in the middle of the battle calls out to Joab and has him come up to the wall. So he's standing on the ground. She's on the top. And she's saying, why would you do this? She goes, our city, listen, you read the chapter, our city has been a mother in Israel. Same term as Deborah. And she says, why would you destroy all of us? Because he says, because you have an enemy of the king, the Messiah, David. And he sa- she goes, well, how can, I, how can I stop this? She says, he says, deliver the man unto us and we will go away. So she goes down, it says this, and she talks to the men in the village. And she says this, we have to get rid of this guy. And so here's what they do. They take him and they cut off his head and throw his head over the wall and the battle's over. Why? Why do they put that story in there? Because that woman is a skull crusher. That woman is. And you go throughout the rest of the Bible, Psalm 68, many places, God will crush the head of his enemies. Habakkuk 3.13, and God will crush the skull of all those who oppose him. And then in our text, one more, Judges chapter 9, just a few chapters after this, Abimelech, who killed all of his brothers, 70 of his own relatives. He's been caught in a city and he's hiding in a tower. And the Bible says that he comes down and he's trying to escape and a woman on the top of the wall, as he's trying to stand there and escape, she throws down a boulder on his head and it crushes his head. Again, that's another story. Why all those stories? Because that's what Yael is. That's the kind of mother she is. She is a mother who's a skull crusher. You know why? Because she sees herself as part of the story. Her fighting against Sisera and crushing his head is not only defending her children and her people, but it's part of what God is doing. And I I want to encourage moms tonight. You think the battles that you fight and the things that you go against and the things that you're struggling with and fighting for for your marriage and your children, can I tell you this? Don't, be, don't think it's in vain. You are working for God's story. You are in part of God's story. That's, we need warrior moms who will fight the cause as she did. The last one. The Bible says, if you look at chapter 5 and verses 28 through 31, Sisera isn't coming home. Now his mom doesn't know, but he's dead. Now, isn't it ironic? In the passage, it says his mother is waiting for, where are the sounds of the chariots and the sounds of the horses? They're not coming. And here's what she says. As the Bible says, she talks to her wise princesses. She turns to the counselors around her to give her wisdom of what might be happening and why he hasn't come yet. But her wisdom, unlike Deborah's, is completely faulty because it's based on the world's. And here's why she thinks he hasn't come home yet, and it's pretty graphic. Because they are, steal- they are taking up clothes and all kinds of riches and things. And it also said because, and here's the literal Hebrew, in the ESV puts it in there, he, it's a, a, womb for, a womb or two for each man. In other words, they were taking advantage of women as they won the victory. Now, isn't it crazy that here's a guy whose mom is okay with that, and, and here he is, she thinks he's taking care, advantage of a woman, but truthfully, the, it's a woman who has ended his life. Isn't God ironic? It's a paradox, isn't it? Moms, that's who we are. That's who you are. You are a wise woman, 
a wise mother, a warrior mother, not a wicked mother, see? And that's who she was. And see, they don't win because ultimately they oppose God and they will have their head crushed in that sense. And it says at the very end, and so shall it be to all of God's enemies. Let me close with this verse. Do you know there's a verse in Romans 16 and verse 20, and it's written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the New Testament. And here's the encouragement. Undergoing suffering and persecution, he says, and the God of peace, hear it in context now, will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus came into the world as the Messiah through all these women and men who were skull crushers, and it led to him, and he's the final one. And exactly what Genesis 3.15 happened, exactly happened that, is Jesus came, he crushed the head of the serpent and gives us the victory. Oh, see, Mom, that's the context of your story. That's the context of your battle. That's who you are and all believers who are in Jesus Christ. See, truthfully, you're writing your own victory song. You are. And there's a lot of battles and a lot of enemies and sometimes some hand-to-hand combat and some crazy things taking place. But I can tell you this. Head crushers win through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Ah, Father, thank you. Thank you for the story inside of a story that moms in all their battles on front lines, all the struggles, all the combat, all the difficulties they face can take fresh courage and not be afraid because they live in a story through Jesus Christ and they've already won. Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you for that victory. May each of our moms and each of us who call on the name of Jesus live out by faith that victory right, can I say, in our own tents, right in our own homes where we are, that you might be glorified. Thank you, Jesus, for crushing this head of Satan and giving us the victory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.